Welcome to the Bear and the Ball. I am Nick Webster, the Vice President of Adults for Cal South, one of the largest state organizations in the country. Today I'm joined by Brian Lufermento. He has a fascinating story from a child prodigy where he was on the verge of signing for Manchester United to internet sensation where he had his own website premtalk.com that was absolute smash hit throughout the world and had over a hundred thousand viewers per week now brian is involved in the marketing side of the game brian welcome to the bear and the bull thank you nick so excited to be here i will say i think you actually overestimated my playing career manchester united was not in fact in for me, but you underestimated my professional career. Actually, Premiership Talk, the website that I grew while I was in university, actually reached over three and a half million people every single month. So it's been really fun taking my playing career into a passion as a working professional now. Excuse me, Brian, that 100,000 a week, that was a gross, gross underestimation of your talents and of course the popularity of premtalk.com. Let's first of all start off on your playing career because from what I hear, and this is, could be an urban legend, is that you are an infant terrible. In other words, a right moany git. Is that true? It's absolutely true. And I'm curious about your perspective as a coach because, you know, at, at those ages, I knew that I was so far ahead of most of the guys that I was on the pitch with. And so as a coach, have you found that that sort of natural talent at younger ages leads to that? Because it's absolutely something that I experienced. Well, one of the things with natural talent is how do you harness it? And that's what many coaches ask. And that's the wrong question to ask because you shouldn't be harnessing natural talent. You should let natural talent go where it needs to go. Now, unfortunately, I think in America, coaches do want to box you. They want to categorize you. They want to label you. And I know you as a young player had all the skill in the world and yet would find yourself in trouble with coaches. You'd find yourself in trouble with teammates. And most importantly, you'd find yourself in trouble with the referees. Now, as a young player, you're trying to you're trying to grow and you're trying to understand your place within the game. Having figures of authority put you down, stifled you. Yeah, not only that, but I'll tell you this as a young player, the thing where I think caused most of the the chasms, if you will, with my coaches especially was that I never felt like they took the time to actually appreciate me as a player. So for example, so put me in the 18 yard box, I'll finish it. Give me half a chance a match and I'll finish it. Shout out to Ruud Vinistroy, was always my idol as I was growing up as a young Manchester United fan. And so that was my game and I'll never forget my high school coach, for example, when I was in eighth grade, I was playing on the varsity high school team and that coach told me right off the bat, he said, yeah, you got to track back. I want to see you when we're on defense. You should be halfway between our own 18-yard box and the midfield line. And me as a striker, especially as a poacher, that was just not my game. And I don't think he ever took the time to understand that. Like, what are my strengths? What What is the way to get the most out of me? Because my teammates knew it, and they said, why is Brian all the way back here on defense? But I don't think the coaches ever took the time to know that. Well, did the coaches ever take the time, though, to understand Brian Lufermento as a young man, as, as a teenager? Because I think that's where coaches are missing the trick. The game isn't about X's and O's at the youth level. Yes, it becomes X's and O's at the top, top level, but at the youth level and as, as a player that's learning the game, it's about the relational side of things. How do I relate to you? Do I want to play for you? Am I willing to sacrifice my body for you? Am I willing to do the hard yards for you? And I think that in your situation, and in many situations, Brian, the coach only looked at you as a piece of meat. 
and that caused the, I believe, the problems that you had with your relationship with coaches and referees. Yeah, I'll add to that because now here we are 15 years later after my playing career ended and as a working professional, as someone who's owned multiple businesses and worked with you know Fortune 500 clients all across different industries, it's funny how in the professional world, one of the first things that these companies will do for you, and actually this woman who I, one of my clients, she was a very successful Fortune 500 consultant, and the first thing that she does when she works with you is she sits you down and she makes you take a personality test that doesn't identify who you are as a person, but it actually identifies your motivators. And she said, I'm not gonna work with you until I understand what drives you. And it was funny, for me, I mean, the thing that drove me is recognition and praise. Like, that's just how I've always operated as a kid, it's how I operate as as an adult like I love that that motivates me if you praise me I want to do even more things and earn even more of your praise whereas other people do things to be of service to people they want to feel like they're helping people other people do it for you know to be a part of something bigger than themselves we all have different innate motivators that drive why we do things and why we continue to do things and my question you know now in hindsight as an adult I understand this why have we never taken the time to understand that about our players I think that's that's a great question, Brian, and I think a lot of it is laziness. It's looking at the big picture rather than sometimes the small picture, looking at the details that are required. Well, we do want to... We, this is Eric Winolder, by the way. We are live on a podcast right now. Uh, we're talking about something very important. Eric Winolder, former United States national team player. Scorer of the first MLS goal. Nick, the one thing about podcasts is they're not live. <laughs> they're not live. You are live right now. Look, we're recording. Yeah, it's true. It's we've, recording. But we've this got is, 12 listeners. 12 listeners. Eric, you're having a nightmare. <laughs> that that's, was the, the voice of Nick Webster in my ear when I worked for Fox. What are we discussing, gentlemen? We are discussing, actually, this is something that you are no. very familiar with. The relationship between player and coach and how important that relationship is over and above the X's and O's and how that relationship can either build your career or crush your career. And in Brian's case, he was a very, very good high school player and then had a row with his high school coach and never played again. It's true. I, I quit baseball for the very reason. I mean, I, I was a pretty good baseball player, Matt Franco and Mike Lieberthal come from Westlake High School and and those guys still tease me about it but and for whatever reason I mean it, it, I got in in a fight with a guy named Gil Gonzalez about not beginning to play third base I quit and I became a soccer player now who knows where what direction my life goes if that doesn't happen but the relationships between the player and coach and, and if you were to even break down what happened between Gil Gonzalez and myself and I don't even know if that guy's still around but the truth is he never talked to me. He never spent the time to actually know where I was coming from. He just said, number six, go out in center field and shut up and like it. And that's, 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 that's not how you coach. That's not how you, you, you conduct yourself if you're in a leadership role. So you and I have worked together in, in, the, in the coaching fraternity for, for many years. Tell us how you go about building that relationship with the player because it has to be organic. You know that. You can't force it. And yet there are players that sometimes struggle to listen to the pearls of wisdom that you have it's not even about them listening to me it's about me listening to them and once you've observed and you've spent the time to actually use your eyes to find out what their skill set is this is where you take the opportunity to find out what they're all about 
it's ta-da, big secret. Listen and talk to them. And you know, when we had our, our team in, in Vegas and we tried to change the culture there, we only had three rules, try, care, work. And be on time, of course, but that was, that's a given. But the, there's a difference between caring and trying. You can care about somebody. Yeah, okay, I care about them, so I didn't leave them stranded on the side of the road, so I drove them home. Did you try to learn their language? Did you try to understand what they're about? You can't ask your players to do something that you're not doing. So the only way that you can facilitate that kind of relationship is to actually try. And that manifests itself in, in our team, in our culture, where, as it turned out, I made eggs for the team every day. So my team would come in, and it got pretty confusing, too, because some of those guys didn't like cheese. Some of them like, thought I put too much salt on there. But for their coach, who got there early, was always the first one there, to be standing there with pretty much with an apron on saying, how do you want your eggs today? Under the circumstances, that wasn't a, a, a moment where it made me look like you know, I, I was not doing my job or I, I was lowering myself to some level like because we didn't have the resources to have a cook in there. It wasn't about that. It was about me actually showing them that I care and I'm willing to try and listen. It's not hard. I know you went to university, but you didn't study psychology. And yet your coaching career has, has been about basically being a shrink, putting players on the sofa. Well, no, where on, did you where did you learn this? Hold on, Professor Geba was my professor, and and he taught several courses. Of course, when you know, when in my day, when I was trying to be a soccer player that happened to go to college, they asked me one time at the MetLife Classic at UCLA, and I jokingly said, "What do you?" When when they asked me, "What are you majoring in?" I said, "Eligibility." But I did go to some courses, and I did uh, I did gravitate to some of these conversations about child development about what it takes uh, psychologically to understand who you are and how you can apply that to a trade. And it went, when it came to soccer, um, as it turned out, this professor uh, was a downhill skier, had nothing to do with, with um, soccer at all. But you, you find the commonalities of trust and, and what you need to be able to do to understand how to do your job. And one of the lessons that he told me, he said, look, life is like, a downhill skier who falls. If you struggle with that fall, you're gonna break something. You gotta go with it. You gotta go with it. You gotta tumble with the way the world is taking you, and then eventually you'll spin out of it. And and that's great advice because a lot of people fight uh, in the moments where they really should be. Either maybe sometimes they should just stand back and observe. Maybe sometimes they should. They, it's not let, letting things happen, but it's taking ownership of what you can control and what you can't. Well, Brian, describe your experience of when you fell out with your high school coach and see if Eric can actually relate to it, because I believe that he might be able to. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was clear. It was, I had a hell of a preseason. I think it was my junior year of high school. And I think maybe in six preseason games, I must have had like 13 or 14 goals. And to me, I was doing an amazing job. Like that's, that's what I'm on the pitch for, put the ball in the back of the net. And my coach, I'll never forget, he was so adamant, Brian, I don't care what you do, I need you to track back. And all of my teammates were baffled by that because they were like, Brian's strength is putting the ball in the back of the net. And I felt the same way. And to me, it was always that constant, you don't even know who I am as a person or as a player. 
And that was always where our clash was. He had a vision of me that didn't align with my own vision of me. And obviously at, you know, 16, 17 years old, you're too young to understand the diplomatic delicacies of these interpersonal relationships. So, yeah, I think both him and I just thought the other one was wrong. Well, no. Describe how, describe how it ended, though. Oh, gosh. Actually, he literally just put a letter. He put a piece of paper on the locker room door and said, not on the team today, Brian. And that was it. Never, literally never went back. Wow. <laughs> no, but look, I mean, I think, I think that story is essentially a person who was unwilling to uh, find out what made their players tick, find out what they were about. And so he tried it too, very, in his own way, to get everybody to be treated the same way. Meaning, hey, you're not special enough to not work as hard as the rest of the group, so you're going to do this or else. And that is just a limited coach. That is not your fault. I feel like we're having the... Uh, the moment with, with Matt Damon here and, and and Robin Williams it's not your fault Goodwill Hunting it's not your fault it's not your fault and then you're not, you're, at this point you're supposed to cry but don't cry <laughs> but that's that's that is just bad coaching and, and bad management and, and and one of the other things that I would encourage a lot of players I do this a lot because I used to be on the other side of this fence is don't listen to your coach trust your own values at times and your own principles because sometimes your coach as much as we'd like to believe that they know what they're doing don't and if they don't want to stay true to who you are you stay true to who you are believe me if you have success they'll take credit for it anyway we're not throwing any anybody under the bus but which coach did not give you the freedom to be Eric oh god Lori Calloway was the worst coach I've ever had that guy I mean he should have done something else but he, was, he, he managed by fear. And when he realized I wasn't afraid of him, he didn't know what to do. And it, and it, it, was, it was really, and, and but the only, the, the lucky part was is Paul Mariner was, was, was there. And he pulled me aside and basically said, just nod your head. And, and he goes, I'm not gonna tell you to do what he told you to do. Nod your head and pretend that you will and then do your own thing. Because ultimately, He's going to take credit for it anyway. When, when I would score, he would act like he was a happy, look at me, I'm a great coach, I, I know what I'm doing. No, he was clueless. This guy was, like, his tactics were so incredibly bad that, you know, we were going to continue to lose, and, and we won a lot of games in, in spite of him. And, and it's, it's one of those things where you can, you can continue to scream at the rain or ask for a move. At, at the end of the day, he got fired for non-performing, and we... Um, we moved on. But you bring up this great point about fear, and I think that used to be the modus operandi of many managers. When do you think that started changing? Um, well, there's so many different ways to address that because when we started, um, I think Cloughy, you know, was was one that managed both. You were afraid of him. Because, and his famous quote was, well, we had a little chat about it and we both decided that I'm right. And when it changed was when we tried to discover a new way to motivate people and, you know, hitting somebody with a stick was no longer acceptable. I mean, let, let's face it, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you could spank your child. Can you spank your child anymore? Why? Because if somebody finds out about it, somebody's gonna come get that kid and take him away from you. 
regardless of the fact that, that you still might think that that is a disciplinary measure that was necessary. Society is telling us that it's not. Society has changed the way that we address coaching because, I mean, look, look at here's another example. Um, Hell Week for football. Depriving athletes of water to make them tougher. Physiologically, that's freaking dangerous. That's a perfect example of how we don't do things the same way. While we have progressed and we're learning how to, to be better people throughout this process, uh, fear is no longer an acceptable way to motivate anything. Well, there's, there's definitely there's physiological science, which you just mentioned with the water, but then there's psychological science. And don't you think that we're still discovering what the brain is all about and what the motivators are and what the drivers are and, and what holds you back? And that's the, the whole part of that is it, it, your level of engagement with people. I, I just did my, my presentation here at the, the convention. And one of the things I alluded to is how we address a four-year-old or a five-year-old that wants to express themselves. We as parents on most occasions blow that moment. Instead of saying, what's so important to you right now, even though you know it's not important, you dismiss it or you discipline the child for, for, for them interrupting you and you call them rude and you say they don't have manners. When the reality is, is they're just trying to express themselves and you are actually being a bad parent by not engaging in their interest, whatever it is. It's almost like, you know, you get to a certain point, it's not the boy cried wolf, but if you've done it enough times, right? Let's say that there's a fire in the living room. Your five-year-old is now going to be, uh, you know, every time I try and tell him something, he doesn't want to listen to me anyway. So it's, 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 a, it's a matter of engagement that I think, you know, what, what you, you and I are very good at this because we stay curious. We, 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 we look for things, we look for the good in people, and then we try to find how we can make it better. And that's a big difference between saying, yeah, you're pretty good at that. Let's see if we can get, uh, we've, we've got that figured out. Let's move on to the next thing, which is we don't need jack of all trades and master of nothing. This, Eric. At what point does expression become disruption? It, it always is you know and does does any i mean everybody deals with and it has different different definitions of disruption but if if you have um if you were stupid enough to buy your your son or daughter a, a drum set and they really like the drums you can't get mad about it but most of the time we we are the ones that have facilitated the overacting as opposed to understanding team structure and you know, I'm dealing this with my daughter right now. My daughter is an amazing soccer player, and she is not her dad. She is humble. She is a team player. She is, says the right things. She's not being politically correct. She's actually understanding the importance of a team unit. I was all about me when I was, when I was very young. It took me a long time to get to that point where I understood that I was a part of a mechanism called team. I do remember this though, you telling me a story of one of Tatum's first games and she scored and she ran up to you and she got your face in both of her hands and said, I'm going to be so much better than you ever were. Yeah, and I had the same scenario with my son who, who was terrified because he was never going to, he, he had already determined that, that that's his personality. My daughter had a in-your-face attitude from day one. The, the best thing that uh, as parents that we were able to do is to allow her to grow within that. She's going to make mistakes. She's going to be disruptive, right? And there's ways to curve that behavior. It's not yelling at him and pulling him off the field. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. I always told you about my dad. My dad used to, 
have a different way of telling me he didn't like what I was doing. He, he would get in the car after the game, and I would. I, I was curious to know if my dad thought I played well, so I'd ask. And then I stopped asking at one point, and then he would say, well, how do you think you did? And he'd ask, and I'd say, well, I think this and this and that. And he says, do you want orange juice or ice cream? And I would say, ice cream? And he goes, you're getting orange juice. And it was up to me to figure out what the hell I did. And he let me think that through. It didn't make me hesitant to, to, to express myself. I never stopped. And, and, he, and he, he didn't encourage it, or any, but he didn't deter the process. He let me learn. He let, he's like, look, you're going to keep putting your hand in the stove, you're going to burn yourself. At some point, you're going to get smart enough to realize that when you put your hand in the stove, you burn yourself. And you'll stop doing it on your own, which was a great life lesson. So your dad's a great coach. Who's the best coach you ever worked for? If Laurie Calloway is the opposite, who's the best? I think it was uh, Klaus Tautmuller, German, who had spent some time in America. He was my coach at Bochum. I was going through a miserable time. I broke my leg. Um, and he really brought me back. And he allowed me to find ways to love the game again. I mean, I'll never forget what happened. I mean, I probably shouldn't tell the story because there's names involved. But he pulled me in at the end of the season and he said, so do you want to stay? And I, typical player, I said, of course, coach. He goes, don't lie to me. This place is miserable. I don't even want to be here. And I said, so yeah, I, I, I want to leave. And he goes, okay. Thank you for the honest answer. Now, what if I told told you that this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy will not be here next year. And I'm going to replace him with a guy named Peter Kutzler. Swiss guy. Funny as hell. Great player. Right? And we're going to bring in this guy, Rice. And we're going to bring in um, this guy, uh, Henrik Boluszewski. And we're going to bring in uh, Thomas Waldorf. And we're going to be a better team. And we're going to have fun. Now do you want to stay? And I said, actually, that sounds fun. And yes. And he said, great, let me get to work, keep your mouth shut, and let's try and see if we can put a smile back on your face. Every time I scored in practice, he let everybody know, that's it, that's what you think, build off of that, you know, positive reinforcement all the time, right? And then when those guys got there, and we went from being a team that got relegated, I had to watch them get relegated with a broken leg, winning the second division and then going into the UEFA Cup. And then actually taking one player, his name is Thomas Stickroad, who when he told me that he was coming, he says, I gotta have a meeting with you. Here's a scouting report on this guy. He smokes, he drinks, he chases women, and he's slow. And I looked at my coach and I said, well, he's not slow. And he said, sounds like he's gonna fit in here, right? Perfect. He turned that guy into the voted by the players, the players player of the year, in a completely different position. It was amazing to me to watch that transformation. And the only way you can accomplish that is not by pointing and saying, you're playing right back today. It's by saying, come here, let me talk to you about your career. Let me talk to you about the player you are and what your goals are. Let me make it easier for you. You're 32 years old, you can't run anymore. But you're still one of my most talented guys. How about this? And every once in a while when we play against certain, t certain teams, I'll let you play up there, but I need you here. Come on, can we make a deal? And they made a deal. And it, it, it equated to a team coming in fifth place in the Bundesliga and, and going to the UEFA um, European Cup. You just mentioned 
the, the great word that coaches always seem to fall back on fun but the professional game isn't fun yes it is when it's always it, there's a different you're kind you're of fun a relegation dogfight that's not fun yeah but getting out of it's fun I'll tell you when, when, when Jesse Marsh took over in Leipzig I I remember thinking he doesn't understand that how this works because he has no experience in Germany and he failed I think he lasted 14 games doesn't mean he's a bad coach, doesn't mean he's a good guy, he just doesn't understand the mentality. So the first thing that happens in America is literally translated, one of his players, after they won a game, says, es macht Spaß wieder Fußball zu spielen, which means it, it was fun to play again. Now, everybody in America goes, ooh, I guess that was a shot at Jesse. No, it wasn't. The Germans don't care about anything outside of winning the game because that's their version of fun. Now, talking about their version of funny, we, we don't need to go there. That's a different sense of humor. They'll wait till the end of the sentence and then ask you if it was a joke and then laugh. That's just their own trust issues with themselves. But understanding the, that fun is playing the game at a high level and, and enjoying that with teammates who can, who can be at the same level with you. Or understanding your teammates to such an extent that you know how to play with them and make them better. And then when you start enjoying the game through other people's accomplishments, there's nothing better than that. It's like being a parent. We're always rooting for our kids. We always want our kids to have a better life. But when you're really a team and your teammate scores, there's nothing disingenuous about that hug. It's real. That's fun. That's love. That's, that's, that's what we're all striving for. Perfect way to end this fantastic episode of The Bear and the Bull. 